Hello, NoCast listeners. Uh, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott here again. This will be part two of our uh, podcast this week. We'll jump into it here. Thank you as always, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy what we have to come. All right. Uh, so we will uh, we will now proceed to something else which uh, is relevant to Florida State's interest and a lot of other schools' interests out there. Ingram, I'm not sure if you caught this or not, but on Thursday or Friday, quietly, the NCAA put out a little press release that uh, if you are an incoming student, so you're graduating you know, this, this spring and you're going to be enrolling, uh, in, uh, in in college, all you need is a 2-3 and to pass your core class requirements, and they're going to waive the ACT and SAT. This obviously makes a whole lot of sense, right? Like, we don't want people going out there and doing, like, mass testing where people are not social distancing from each other and all that stuff. But there were certainly schools out there and a lot of schools that recruit kids uh, like Florida State recruits, right? Some kids who are sort of on the academic margins, if you will. Uh, who were a little concerned about this. And, and they're like, eh, this is not great, right? Because the March and the April test dates got canceled. And, and oftentimes, March and April are some of the last uh, times. And you, you have some, some May, May dates as well, uh, which are probably going to be canceled. But those are oftentimes like some of the last testing dates that these athletes can go to uh, in order to get into college to avoid having to either head to uh, some, some kind of prep deal or, or take an a- academic redshirt. And so this, I think this is the right decision and, and certainly uh, uh, a, sign of, uh, a sigh of relief is being, uh, being breathed by, by some schools out there. Definitely. And it's something that we've talked about on the past couple podcasts, something that you talked about uh, on a, in a broader version on uh, the new pod you're doing, Barton and Bud, over at, uh, at 247. Point our listeners to that if, uh, if you want a little bit more of Bud Elliott's opinion on CFB things. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, it's something that people had to respond to. It's a different landscape out there as far as testing availability uh, when it comes to the ability to take some of these standardized tests and uh, good, good on you for pointing that out. And the NCA uh, responded kind of accordingly. Yeah, I, I thought that was, that was just smart. Uh, a quick follow-up note here, just a couple more things before we get to the, uh, the, the listener questions. Uh, Bradley King, uh, the defensive end, ended up picking Baylor, uh, Florida State. So, so they get the Williams kid out, out of Baylor uh, to transfer in. And Bradley King, the Arkansas State uh, sack master, does end up going and picking the Bears. Uh, I, I think you can get some different opinions on how hard Florida State w- was pursuing Bradley King after they took a couple of these recent transfers. Uh, Would have been nice to have, but I, I don't. Maybe maybe this comment will really come come back to to bite me in the butt, but. I don't know that he was necessarily like the biggest difference maker for you in the world, but just a, just an interesting note there. I figured we, we should follow up on. He's one of the few remaining transfers uh, who we knew they were actively talking with. Also, just Justice Reed, the defensive end who they kind of flirted with for a while, uh, does end up going public with his commitment to Virginia Tech. He he committed to them silently, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. A little bit of a disagreement regarding Bradley King. That, that would have been somebody that I would have done backflips over and and freaked out. I would have been exceptionally positive about that. I think that's a, a skill set that Florida State doesn't have a more explosive player than they have. And that's a, it's not a big loss. But when I saw that, I think that broke somewhere around 10 o'clock last night, Saturday night. And I was I was disappointed to see it. I was hoping that was going to go a different direction. That, I mean, look, there's no doubt. He, he I think he would have at least helped him. I, I kind of wonder, like, in that league, what you're facing offensive line wise, but you can't deny the production, right? I mean, the, the guy, the guy was was just killing those offensive tackles in that league and, and piling up a ton of tackles for loss and sacks. And 
Look, if he wanted to come, I don't think Florida State would have turned him down. I mean, let, let's be real about this. They don't have a whole lot at, at defensive end right now, especially not in the pass rusher mold. A uh, final note before listener questions is just uh, as we have the draft coming up the back end of this week, uh, Cam Akers, I've seen him anywhere, kind of anywhere between the second and sixth pick on the board, uh, depending on who you're looking at and whose perspective. I mean, look, uh, it's good to see that everybody else has figured out that judging Cam Akers is really freaking hard uh, based off just the absolute trash that he had lining up in front of him uh, when it comes to an offensive line and judging somebody's tape like that is is damn near impossible. I had somebody in the, the local NFL organization here reiterate uh, that basically verbatim to me. It's one of the more harder prospects that they've ever had to judge. And uh, hey, I, I, hope, I hope Cam's name goes early. A great kid, worked his rear end off, uh, didn't have the success that he had, but by all accounts will be you know, probably a second or third round pick, it looks like at this point. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. Um, it's an interesting running back class overall. We're not going to spend too much time on this because it, you know, it's a Florida State related show. Most everybody that I read out there has DeAndre Swift going one. And then the confidence level, as far as who's going to go to, totally drops off. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie and say that I see a lot of Cam Akers as the second back off the board, but I see some Taylor. I see some Dobbins. I see some Edwards Alaire. Uh, by the way, Edwards Alaire has been connected to the Bucks a couple times just because they, they need a pass catching running back. It's kind of interesting for there. If we've got any Bucks fans listening, and I know we do have a couple. Uh, and I've seen a couple mock drafts that, that have mentioned Akers as potentially a second back if, if some of the other backs fall. And it totally makes sense that he's a tough evaluation because I think there were times in which he didn't follow his blockers, and we would openly discuss it on the show. Like, do you think this guy? is sort of damaged goods because he doesn't trust his blocking. He doesn't trust that there's going to be blocking there. And it, it was that was something that I know Coach Clements had to work in tandem with, with a running back coach last year on just getting Cam to trust that the blocking would be there. And uh, sometimes it was not, right? Like It's not like, hey, we've got him to trust something that was definitely happening because sometimes it was not there. But it was just a uh, interesting career at Florida State. But I don't think anybody ever believed that, that Cam... You know, wasn't a hard worker. To my memory, he never got in trouble at Florida State and a really good athlete. And it's it's possible, you don't see this a whole lot, but it's very possible his best days and best work could still be ahead of him. I could see Cam Akers doing, doing absolute work in the NFL uh, for, for, you know, four or five years. I, I think that's a talented kid that if uh, goes to the right situation, uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully has the success and then is able to see his second contract money because, God knows there's no position in the league that's more important than that. And I uh, uh, really hope that, that nothing but good things are in Cam Akers' future. Absolutely. Uh, you want to go to listener questions here? Let's jump into them. Absolutely. Um, got a lot. Again, most of these will come from our patreon.com backslash Nolcast. Uh, thank you again to our Patreons who uh, has given us great support recently. And it's uh, allowed us to do an awful lot of things. And uh, we'll thank them and as such, we'll jump into their questions. Derek asks, uh, the first question here, Derek asks, how has the social media, uh, how has the how has social media changed the recruiting landscape over the last five to 10 years? We've certainly seen the good, the bad, and the ugly from Florida State Social De- Media Department over the last several months. And I'm curious to know how much attention to recruits give to a school's social media presence. Are schools starting to devote more time and resources to this particular aspect of recruiting? So it's a really good question. Um, 
and I know this is something you've pondered, pondered lots, I'm going to keep my answer on, on this pretty short, but it used to be that if you had a really good social media team, it could be a big advantage for you. I think now it's not a big advantage to have a good social media team. I think it's just a big disadvantage if you don't have one. It's more one of those like necessary but not sufficient conditions. Uh, so teams are definitely not starting to devote more time and resources to this aspect of recruiting. They have been doing so, I mean, probably what, it, since 2015, probably at least. I mean, like for five years now, there's definitely been some schools with some serious social media teams. Go go back and Google like whenever anybody, it, there was an article three or four years ago that, that talked about how Clemson built out their social media project. And so it's been going on hardcore at least since 2015. Um, and I think that coincided, honestly, with sort of the rise of Instagram and, and Snapchat uh, as, as much as anything. Because Twitter, you can only do so much. But with, with Instagram and, and Snap, you can do other creative stuff. And, and I think these coaches and, and programs, the smart ones, realize that like, these kids are not on Facebook, right? Like, they're not, they're not really using Facebook. And most people who are... Younger, or honestly, most people, a lot of people who are younger are, are either not on Facebook or not using Facebook. Like I would delete mine if I didn't have to use it for work, right? I don't post on there, not, not interested in it. And I really don't browse it. Understanding where these players live as far as online now and how to reach them was really key. And I think that the schools that were smart about this, they they realized they built out their 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 systems and their social media teams because they realized their coaches were probably not going to be really good with it, with Instagram and with Snapchat. Yeah, I mean, I think what you talked about is is more or less what I would say. It's been a big deal uh, for about five years, and it's gotten to the point where if you have it, great. If you don't have it, there's a big you know red flashing light over. Uh, your incompetency. So it's it's either a thing that uh, it's an expectation at this point. We'll use this time to thank our friends at Madison Social and For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, as always, want to encourage you to take a look at their merchandise page. If you have an opportunity to support them from afar, we would encourage you to do so. Uh, curbside pickup is something that they've uh, implemented and uh, by all accounts seem to be doing exceptionally well. And then... Um, we mentioned this on the past last podcast. We'll have more updates for you, uh, but it does sound like we'll be doing some kind of trivia night with them uh, coming up here shortly. And then want to point you in the direction of their new website. It is ordermadso.com. So uh, if you are doing the curbside pickup, if you are reaching out to our friends for any kind of catering, anything like that, I encourage you to go through that website uh, or just uh, call and ask uh, to speak with some piece of leadership there, and uh, they're happy to help you in any way possible. Next question comes from Brandon. Uh, Brandon and Chris chime in. Can we get Bud and Ingram to do a top 10 list or one of your cool drafts of all-time FSU recruiting bust? Seems like uh, best gentleman, I hope all is uh, okay. So he wishes us good luck. Uh, and then a second question here is, Bud, who's the one player you've scouted that you knew right away was going to be a stud? And also... One that you didn't think would be good, but turned out to be, uh, you know, better player than maybe that of what you first thought. I'm going to take and give you the guy who I just knew was going to be really, really good immediately. Uh, And to me, this is just the guy who I I think was probably the best combination of just unreal player in high school 
but who also had upside to, to be really good. And it, yeah, Derwin. I mean, the, the stuff Derwin did in high school was just, it was just unreal, man. Like, dude, it was, it was just, it was crazy. And he fulfilled it. Like, he was that good in high school, but then he was like, when he was healthy, he was even that good in college, you know? And in the pros, he's also been extremely good. I'm trying to think. A guy who I, I did not think was going to be that great. I like Trey Jackson, like what we saw out of him coming off the injury. If, if you guys don't recall that story uh, recruiting-wise, so Trey Jackson was committed to Georgia Tech. Remember this? Oh, oh, I remember it well, yeah. And so he had had a knee injury. Georgia Tech stuck with him. They they offered him like much earlier than everybody else did. He has a pretty nice senior year coming off the knee injury. So so you get some schools. I, th- I think Florida State, well, I know Florida State was one of them, obviously. Bama and Florida State both got in on him pretty late, yeah. So Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech had this policy, which is very similar to like Dabo Swinney's policy, which means like if you're committed to us, you cannot visit other schools. The, what he did not have was leverage. And that's something that Davos when he does have because it's Paul Johnson in Georgia Tech. Anyway, uh, so that was, yeah, he, he, he did not have uh, great leverage there uh, to actually enforce that policy. And so basically they, there were some, un, there was some like unclear stuff there, whether they actually pulled his offer or didn't pull his offer. He ends up in Florida State and may not have had the option to go back to Georgia Tech once he decided to take that visit to Tallahassee. Uh, a name of a kid that was pretty highly recruited uh, was a name, but it ended up being a much better player than I could have projected just to throw a name out there, Demarcus Walker. I mean, that, that kid was a, a good prospect. It was awesome kind of how how Jeremy Pruitt did Florida State a real big, real big favor and uh, brought him in the way that he did. Uh, but that was a kid whose film I looked at looked like a nice player, productive in high school, Way better college football player than I ever thought he was going to be. Can I give you another one? And by the way, I, I totally agree with that one because I in high school I I did not know how much better he was going to get in college, and he ended up getting a whole lot better. And he really worked his ass off about it. Uh, I'm going to throw him back here to the class of '09. I thought Brian Stork was actually probably a little bit better than his rating, but I didn't think Brian Stork would be like a three year starter, you know, and and be a a really good player. Drafted by the Patriots. Yeah. 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 Like they're no, I did not think Brian Stork was going to get drafted by the Patriots. No, no, I did not. It's kind of a cool question. I, I, I like this. Here's, here's a kid that was highly recruited that I thought uh, was not that big of a deal. When the, when the Bush kid decided to go to Michigan, I thought, okay, I didn't, I didn't think that was going to be nearly the player that he was a uh, hell of a linebacker. I think he got a lot better physically at Michigan too. Like, like, I feel like he almost got faster at Michigan. Oh, dude, it, that kid side to side, uh, sideline to sideline. Granted, yeah, he's playing in the Big Ten, blah, blah, blah. Now, that kid was a more explosive college football player than I could have seen on his tape, or at least what I saw on his tape. Uh, smarter people than I obviously did a better job there, but I I did not see that player at the college level at all. Can I also give you Eberly? Mm. Oh, yes, yes. Here, Here's my answer for sure. Fred Jones. Uh, that's a great one. That's a great one. Fred Jones was a like a multi-year serious contributor contributor to Florida State. Pretty damn good, like a decent college player. I mean, decent enough to play on some some pretty good Florida State defenses and get some big time snaps there. Uh, I know a scout who watched multiple games of him, and like not like a media scout, like a guy who's actually in the scouting business, who thought the kid couldn't play. And we were sitting up there in the box together at that state title game. We're like, 
He's like, what do you think? I was like, he's really not, he's not making that many plays. Like he doesn't, like he doesn't flash like a Florida State defensive tackle should flash. And yet he, he went out there and did the damn thing, man. Like I, I have to give Fred Jones all, all the credit in the world like that. Yeah. Credit to him and credit to Adele. Uh, that's a, that's a great name. Uh, great name to, to end this question with. Uh, I did not know, by the way, that Dalvin was going to be that good too. Like, I mean, I, I, I thought he was really, really nice. You can argue he actually dominated college competition, like relative to the level of competition, more than he did high school. And he was really dominant in high school. Never going to be against a Dalvin Cook reference in a null cast, uh, ever, ever, ever. Uh, Trey writes uh, My question is the most recent top 10 recruiting targets done by Nulls 24 7. The other schools listed as our top competition for this and these 10 players are the schools with the reputation as the biggest bag droppers right now. Can Florida State really compete for these recruits right now? Is the staff shooting a little too high out of the gate, or does it seem like they have a good plan for A, B, and C layer level recruits? Love the show, and Trey, we appreciate your question. Thanks, sir. So, Trey, the answer to your first part of the question is uh, no, they can't. No, at least not not in mass. Now, maybe selectively for a player or two. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is possible, but that's going to have to be something that they, they form a really special relationship with. They, they get in good with the high school coach and, and, and the parents, maybe you know, a little family and faith get involved there as well. Uh, but no, it, for the most part, they're not going to be able to compete on that level for this year. And I think the longer this goes, the, the extended dead period, the more it hurts for state. I, I think you could argue, and we did discuss this idea, that if it was just like a month or two, it actually might not kill Florida State because just some of the stuff would get pushed back as far as the, the visitation timelines and things. And it might cause some players to delay their commitment timelines. Remember that? I don't think there's any way you can argue that just outright cancellation of visit period, which is what we're going to have now, uh, is, is a good thing for the Knowles. It just it doesn't work that way. So no, they, they really can't compete for those right now. Uh, is the staff shooting a little too high out of the gate, or does it seem like they have a good plan for the A, B, and C layers? Uh, here's where I would say, yeah, I think that given their current like situation, uh, they have they've been evaluating the hell out of these kids, and I know that they have players ready to move up for new offers or for you know just kids to get increased focus and attention. Once some of these other guys either come off the board or just stop giving them the time of day, so they would come off their board even if they're not. Uh, committed. So I, I think that this staff, uh, from that standpoint, is more organized uh, than the last staff was, or perhaps at some positions, a little bit more realistic than the prior staff was. What I think the jury is out a little bit on how good of a job they're going to do of actually recruiting the players, but identifying them and prioritizing them, I think they will be really good. All right. Bud's recording the Nolcast is brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. The guys at Rezo, Shannon Young and, and Chad, they, they've been killing the loan game for a long time. I got my home loan through them and my refi through them. They're, they are literally experts here in the in, in the mortgage field. Super happy with how my refi just went with them. We know a lot of Nolcast listeners also have just done their refis as well. Uh, but now we also want to want to let you guys know about something else, and, and that is potential uh, to unlock equity in your home as a way to, to handle some debt, right? Credit cards may not be the right answer for you. Unlocking some of that equity you, are, you already have in your home might be a much better and smarter option. 
Call them 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Tell them Bud and Ingram, Ingram sent you, and you may be able to get out of a tough situation by unlocking some of that equity in your home or you know, like, like their, their existing products already. Their mortgage and their refi are also great. But this next question is yours. I'll let you take it away. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey says, one thing I've always been curious about is uh, how and why Bud got into his career versus using his JD. I'm a recent FSU law grad, and while I love my job, I always wanted to know uh, what made Bud decide to pursue the sports journalism versus law. Uh, thanks. Hope you all are staying healthy and safe. As always, go Knowles. Well, uh, so I, I did pursue the law uh, for a while, not I mean, not years or anything. Uh, the main thing that, that helped me out there, honestly, uh, was I, I had a good LSAT day. And, and so I came out without, without a typical lawyer debt, and it allowed me to take some risks in my career or, you know, or career choices that would normally be defined as risks, right? But because I didn't have that debt coming out, uh, it, to me, they weren't, you know, as risky decisions as others. And, uh, and I, I mean, look, I just got very, I, I worked hard for it, but I also am not blind to the fact that my timing was quite fortuitous, right? If you came along in 2001 as a sports blogger, well, you, you, you would have been way too early into the marketplace, probably, especially for like a team-based you know, website, most likely. Uh, maybe not. If you came along in 2015 and tried to do it, you, you would have missed the window. Like, but if you were writing back in 07, 08, and ended up being pretty decent at it and developed a following and, and had a chance to launch into it full-time in 2011, 2012, I mean, there's just, you can look back at almost any industry, right? Uh, whether it's a, an industry being developed or, or a product or sector within a certain industry where you got to time it up right. And I not saying I had like the foresight to know about it. I didn't, I just started doing something. I was pretty good at it and the doors kept opening for me in large part because the, the industry was just growing and developing, you know, it, there's a lot of luck in that. Next question comes from uh, Morris. Morris asks, why does the 2013 national title game not get respect? So this is actually one that I'm glad glad got brought up because I was listening to another podcast the other day, not a Florida State show, but a lot of these websites out there are doing like the the best games of all time. Let's let's rank this. Let's rank that. And I mean, look, we're, we're doing some ranking too on 24-7 sports. So I'm not going to not talk down on that. But Florida State's national title game against Auburn, it never ranks highly. And, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on why. I'm, I'm going to throw this to you first because I've been thinking about this a lot of the weekend um, once I saw this question. But why do you think that game does not get the respect it deserves? Because it has a lot of the elements, man. It's a close game. It's- it has everything. It has everything that you can ask for. Swings, explosive plays, special teams plays, uh, you know, future number one overall draft picks. It, it is surprising. I think, uh, and I don't know an immediate example uh, or answer. I think, you know, one thing is that so much crazy stuff happened with Auburn that year that you, it's, you still look back and think of that. Uh, I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm at a loss for words. It, it is the, you know, the time where the SEC run comes to an end. If you're a Florida State fan and you're like me, it's a beautiful opportunity to go back and look at what the you know the best uniform in sports used to look like uh but i don't know why that game does not rank as highly up there as some 
I think there's two elements here just that I'd like to throw out. Number one is obviously the Jameis factor. I think you have some, I think there are some in sports media who wanted to be in like media that they seem as more prestigious, right? And like, which is generally like covering politics or covering like you know, world news or something. But those jobs are sometimes, sometimes harder to get than sports media, not always. So I wonder if they're like trying to take a little more, uh, you know, hoity toity stance and, and not, not really regarding the game in high esteem because of, of James. The other element I think here is like, yes, it was a dramatic comeback. Yes, there was almost an upset. Yes, it had great explosive plays and, and great individual efforts. But I do think that, and I don't know if this is wrong actually, but I think it's not seen necessarily as an underdog punching up and playing with a Goliath, I think it's basically seen and probably correctly actually seen as the Goliath having a really off day, right? Like Florida State did not play, Florida State won the game. Florida State did not play well for about 45 minutes of that game. And I wonder if it's like, like for the, for the best games of all time, I don't th- know if you can have the favored team just playing like crap. Mm, yeah, that's like, a good like point. Like Florida State was. I mean, like USC, Texas, okay. And even like like Miami, Ohio State, that was, gosh, what, 15 years ago now at this point? More than that. Maybe, yeah, uh, no, more than longer that. than that. 20. God. It did feel like Ohio State was playing up some. Now, Miami also had some pretty pretty dumb plays in that game and, and played kind of sloppy at times. But with that, Ohio State actually completed the upset. Now, it took a crazy call that was pretty late. I just wonder if, if it, are, are people going to rate a game where the hated team, which is also like a Goliath, screws around for 45 minutes and then ultimately ends up pulling out at the end that highly? I, I wonder if that's part of why that game doesn't get a, as much pub. It's a pretty exciting game to watch if you did not know that one team was favored by almost two touchdowns. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. I also wonder if Alabama... You know, doesn't mess around and kick six doesn't happen. Uh, I think if Florida State plays Alabama, that regardless of that, that that's a that's just a, a monumentally much bigger game for whatever reason. And I'm not disparaging Auburn. Uh, I just think the way that Auburn got there, the season that they had, uh, that people maybe just didn't view that as a as an absolute. You know, again, the two biggest powers in college football squaring off. Sure. Right. Okay. So yeah, exactly. I think that's even more to the point. Right. It's. This Auburn team probably really was not the number two team in the country. They were just super lucky. And then Florida State plays down to the level of the team in which their mind was probably the third or fourth best team in the country. Right? Uh, yeah. Not to patronize people, but Auburn, the kick six, everybody remembers. And, and most people remember this too. Auburn had one of the more fortuitous wins and bounces against Georgia that you could ever see. <laughs> I mean, they had two of the more ridiculous games that you're ever going to see in college football. Almost had three. Uh, and I do think were that, they back to back weekends or was, it, was there a game in between there? Uh, I think it was two weeks. I think it was uh, three weeks overall between the because they had like one of those FCS games or something. But it was nuts. It was it was it's just the nuts most nuts run I've seen of a team and how they made their way into the into the ultimate uh, championship game. You know, maybe the the fact that it was the last game of the BCS. I don't think it plays it 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 downplays it at all, but. Uh, you know, maybe people place a higher, uh, mentally even just a higher, uh, 
award as they should on a team that wins a playoff game and then goes and wins, uh, you know, wins a championship game immediately after it. So it's a good question. I wish I had a better, more definitive answer for you, but hopefully we kind of stumbled across four or five ideas as to why it's looked at like that. So uh, two things here. Number one, Brandon, we did see your question uh, asking for a top 10 list uh, of the all-time Florida State recruiting busts. He suggests that we do one of our draft-style formats of that. I don't know if I want to draft something that's that negative, but I'm, I'm open to, to discussing the, the all-time recruiting bust for Florida State, or at least in the like recruiting rankings era. That, that's something that's probably going to be ex- like an extended uh, segment. So I, I think that would be... Uh, yeah, we could do the recruiting era and the recruiting rankings era, and I could do the 10 years leading up to that. I like uh, that. We could probably have a pretty good idea as to 25 years of disappointment. That'd be a good show. <laughs> All right, Ingram, let's, let's pause real briefly here to bring you a message from Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a longtime sponsor of the Nolcast and a proud supporter of ours. He's also a board-certified family law expert. There are 110,000 attorneys in the state of Florida, and less than 0.002% of them are board-certified in family law. That means when you call Travis Johnson at 850 435 9919, you are getting one of the very few experts in the field of family law in the state of Florida. That, that's a pretty big deal. And here's Travis's message to you. We know this is a pretty trying time. So Travis writes, I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy during this pandemic. Hopefully the measures being taken across the state and country will limit the scope and duration of the current problems. However, these same measures have already resulted in millions of people being laid off, furloughed, or losing their income with more sure to come. No one knows how long the situation will last, but if you have a child support or alimony obligation, you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It's important to seek a court-ordered modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible, as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of the filing. Travis will actually offer you right now a free consult and will work with you on flexible rate payments. So, Check that out. If you call Travis, 850-435-9919. Free console and flexible rate payments. We know a lot of y'all have changing circumstances. Please take that number down again, 850-435-9919. You might not need it today, but it's great to have when you do. And we thank Travis for support of the show. So we have a follow-up question from Tom, and then we have one from Art. So we can, we can knock both these out, I think. So Tom asks, with all the NCAA impact happening, are we more or less likely to see more transfers and grad transfers? I think by NCAA impact, he's talking about all these different changes and cancellations. I don't know. Uh, this is really, to me, this is kind of a tough one. I think on the one hand, if players are not graduating and moving on like, like and not matriculating quite as much, then that, that could have a, uh, a depression of transfers. You could also sort of see like a depressed market of transfers because you don't have spring football. So now kids have uh, less clarity on where they stand on these depth charts, right? Whereas normally we see sort of a second wave of transfers after spring when kids realize that that they're either losing their job or have lost their job. Uh, Now, on the other hand, if kids were not happy at the school prior to this and now they've been sent home, they got a lot of people in their ear every day about how they need to transfer out and find a better situation. And they're far away from those coaches, right? So I, mean, I think there's some, there's some kind of, uh, there, there's some, some life stuff that, that's kind of similar to this too, right? So 
like we we definitely see this sometimes in, in like you, you can see this sort of like person goes home and then realizes they should probably do something different about their situation uh, in in non sports areas of life as well. So I I don't know, man. Like you you think we'll see more or less transfers this year? I, I this is a hard one to handicap. I really don't know. I don't know that we can really give a solid answer until we have a better idea as the calendar looks like. Have better ideas to win. Some of these things that'll go on to give more clarity is the depth chart, as you talked about a second ago, as we talked about last episode. Uh, I think once we have an idea as to when some of these things are going to be happening, that we can get a a better grasp on how uh, some of this stuff's going to play out. Um, I would would lean a little bit on the less likely that we'll see less transfers year over year this year, just because there's so much uncertainty uh, that it may lead itself to people sticking around to where is this they otherwise would have not. Uh, final question of the evening comes from Art. Uh, Art is a, wrote us a, a nice long question here. We condensed some of it. Uh, Art's a, a physician in a large metro city, originally from Tallahassee. Uh, Art, certainly appreciate all that you're doing right now, uh, yourself and all the uh, medical community at large. Um, he asked if we could look at a hypothetical that admittedly no one wants, but it's very possible and perhaps needs to be considered, uh, say that there is no college football in 2020. Does a school in Florida State's position stand to benefit or not be hurt as much relative to schools against which we recruit for top players? Um, my thinking is that if you look at 2020 as a mass redshirt year, schools with less talent or more youth on their rosters compared to their competition will benefit more with the extra development time. If Florida State was going to have growing pains and potentially some ugly games in 2020, could it perhaps be better to avoid those ugly times since we are mostly selling vision for the future anyway? Okay, this is really complicated uh, of a question, which is which is neat. And, and I think this is a perfect time of year to, to answer questions like this. Assuming this is a mass redshirt year, I mean, if if football gets canceled, then clearly it would be. You're still going to lose players like Tamari and Terry and Marvin Wilson. Like they're not going to stick around for their age 23 season, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't think that that would be silly because by the time they they chew through their first NFL contract, if they're fortunate enough to get a second contract, I mean, they'd be what 28 years old. So anybody who's eligible to jump to the draft is going to jump to the draft, and. The rules do not say that you have to play three. They don't say you have to play three seasons to go to the draft. They say you have to be three years, calendar years, out of high school to go to the draft. So basically anybody who was going to be a junior this year or a redshirt sophomore this year could also go to the draft. So I I, I kind of reject uh, Art's premise a little bit just off the bat. Now, I do understand what he's saying here, though. Like, if you think you have a lot of talent in the freshman sophomore ranks that is not going to be draft eligible, you get them for another year of development. So, I think that that could help you. Um, overall, though, if this gets canceled, I'm going to make the, the assumption that high school also gets canceled, and that means that Mike Norvell's staff would not have been able to get on the road and see high school players or high school coaches in, in literally in the year 2020. I mean, not spring ball, not fall ball. And I think you very much have to worry about like the new car smell of this staff 
wearing off before anybody ever gets gets to sit in that driver's seat and take a whiff. So ultimately, no, I don't think that Florida State wants to push back its growing pains to 2021. I I, I don't think that that, and I don't think they're going to be able to effectively use this time. Like I know we've had some people email us and say, "Hey, like, don't you think that because of how organized Mike Morvell is, that this is actually an advantage for Florida State against some other teams?" And my answer is no. I think that having a very organized coach might help you mitigate some of the issues uh, of being away, but it does not help you overcome the fact that Norvell has not had a chance to work with these guys in person, whereas the majority of college coaches have because they're not year one coaches. So, no, I, 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 the longer this goes, the more I lean toward this is a disproportionately bad thing for coaches in year one. I'd also be careful about um, expectation does not mean comparative advantage. Like you should have a staff that's uh, organized, that's able to execute on stuff like this. It doesn't mean that you're the only one that has it. Uh, It doesn't mean that you're going to be, you know, wildly outflanking people with competence. And I I know that's a nice thing to have back in the Moore Center and uh, we can all celebrate it. It just doesn't mean that you're out there. Uh, you know, navigating some uh, some landscape that's going to be easily traversed because you happen to have an individual who's a, a hell of a lot more competent leader and at least uh, capable of putting a, a, you know, organized structure together. So uh, final comment. Are you saying that, that uh, Mike Norvell's organization does not overcome other staffs that are like twice as large or can afford to send Apple watches to uh, monitor the sleep patterns? Of their athletes? Uh, yes, I am saying that there will be some hurdles out there and having competency is fantastic and should be celebrated. It just doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden start lapping everybody. I would agree with that. All right, folks. So, uh, hey, look, a great, hopefully a great two shows that we did there back to back. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Want to thank all of our sponsors again. Uh, appreciate the support that we've received uh, from you, the listener. If you get a chance to give us a five-star review, always appreciate it. If you have a chance to leave us another one, even better. Look forward to doing this again soon. And uh, from Bud and I, as always, thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.